Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. And we're having a special pre-recorded program for the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Uh, we have uh, two guests with us in the studio, two fine guests who've been here before, uh, who have been busy uh, this season already. Julio Alonzo, the director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, and Vicki Pierce, the executive director of Monroe County Community Kitchen. We're also going to be joined uh, joined later in the program by phone. Uh, we're going to be joined by John Etling, the director of Catholic Charities in Terre Haute. He'll be joining us to talk about what's going on over there. So the topic today is hunger. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into poverty in general a little bit. Um, it's a holiday season, and everybody is kind of gearing up. Sarah? That's right. It's a great time of year and a busy time of year for you all. Right. Absolutely. Well, Vicki, thanks for being here. And Julio, always a pleasure. Thanks for being here, too. Thanks so, for having us. So let's just, talk, let's just get right down to it and talk about the, the, the need this year. Is the need greater than it's been before? It seems like that's been something that's been happening for year after year after year. Um, I'll be surprised, I guess, if you say that, no, it's not greater this year. But, uh, Julio, why don't you start? Sure. Well, uh, frankly, Bob, I'd love to be able to give a different answer um, at, at some point in the near future and say, no, the need is diminished. It's not as, it's not as bad as it was last year. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, in fact, when uh, I, I talked with one of your reporters earlier this week, Dan Denny, and, and the word I used to describe it is, is uh, relentless. Uh, it, it's just been relentless for the last few years, the, the, the way it's been increasing. And uh, we're doing our best to meet that. I know the kitchen are, and uh, other agencies that we work with are doing the same. But unfortunately, we just continue to see more and more people accessing food resources. Mm -hmm. Vicki, is it the same for you? Absolutely. One of the nice things for us this year is actually we've seen so far less increase than the previous couple of years. We've been looking at, uh, I think, 21 and 14 percent increases in the two previous years. This year, we're at about 8 percent, which is much more manageable for us so far. So, um, you know, we have to take into consideration that also means or that includes the fact that we were down for a week during our move uh, where we weren't really serving at full capacity. But, you know, we are at least somewhat encouraged um, for us that those folks who um, really are kind of at the bottom of the tier that, that maybe we're not seeing those huge increases that we were. Um, mm -hmm. I think probably those folks above that, those accessing pantries and those kinds of things, those folks are probably still hitting that really, really hard. I think it's probably worth having uh, the two of you sort of uh, distinguish between your organizations. Uh, the Hoosier Hills Food Bank does one uh, job. The Community Kitchen does another job. But sometimes it gets kind of lumped together. So, Vicki, the Community Kitchen? Community Kitchen is basically a free meal service. Uh, so the backbone program of ours is that we serve dinner Monday through Saturday to anyone in need, no questions asked. We do that from two locations. So we're a place where someone can come when they need to eat right now. Um, and they can take up to, depending on the location, one or two carry-out meals with them for later or for someone at home. We also have outreach programs for children where we're trying to get food out to at-risk and low-income children where they already are. Um, and one program in particular for chronically ill, some folks here locally who are HIV positive or dealing with AIDS. And so we are very much the give-you-the-food-you-can-eat-right-now kind of place, um, mm -hmm. whereas Julio is going to be the, the flip side of that. And we're an agency that is is incredibly dependent on what they do and the way they do it as well. Julia? Mm -hmm. um, I think if you're lo we're looking at it from a uh, for-profit industry uh, model, you might say that Vicki is more on the retail end and we're more on the wholesale end at the, uh, the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Uh, we operate on a little bit larger scale. And while we do some direct service programs, for the most part, our clients are other agencies like Community Kitchen, Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Mm -hmm. 
food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters um, across an eight-county region. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we try to do is uh, provide the infrastructure necessary to supply those agencies with the food that they need or as much as possible of the, the food that they need that we can. Mm-hmm. And we are um, more of a regional agency. As I said, we do serve a total of eight counties. Mm-hmm. Where do you get your food? We get our food from a variety of, of places. Uh, the vast majority of it is donated from, from many different sources. Um, as I said about infrastructure earlier, we go out with our refrigerated uh, vehicles every day to uh, retail outlets, wholesalers, restaurants, pick up food that might other be, uh, otherwise be wasted and get that food distributed to agencies. Uh, we benefit from a lot of community food drives, uh, just um, individuals uh, supporting us through their businesses, uh, neighborhoods, schools, um, stores, whatever, collecting food uh, for us to distribute. Um, we purchase food as well. We started doing that a few years ago to supplement uh, what we what we were able to get donated. Uh, so we raise funds to, to actually purchase food and distribute it. Uh, we raise some of our own food. We have a garden and gleaning program where we actually um, partner with a local uh, farm, Stranger Hill Organics, and grow some food that we're able to distribute, fresh produce. And then a big chunk of the food that we're able to distribute comes through the federal government, through the United States Department of Agriculture's two uh, commodity programs. Mm-hmm. We're uh, talking with Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and Vicki Pierce from the Monroe County Community Kitchen. This is a pre-recorded program, so you can't call in, uh, unfortunately. Well, it'll be myself and Sarah Whitmire asking all the questions today. So uh, mm-hmm. we hope that you'll stick with us and learn about hunger and hunger issues in our community um, on this holiday weekend. It is the day after Thanksgiving, and, and I wonder, Vicki, what, what kind of special things happened at the kitchen on Thanksgiving? We really work to make Thanksgiving a traditional Thanksgiving meal um, for those folks who may not have family to gather around the table with like most of us do. And so every Thanksgiving we serve turkey, mashed potatoes, dressing, cranberry, ambrosia, rolls, you know, pies, really the the whole gamut, green bean casserole. That's what I forgot. Uh, The whole whole (laughs) gamut there for folks so that when they come in, they get that traditional Thanksgiving meal. Anytime around the holidays, both Thanksgiving and Christmas, there really is just this incredible spirit at the kitchen. Um, It's always a nice community place, but Thanksgiving is our most popular day of the year to volunteer. And so those folks who are there are grateful. They're grateful to be there. Uh, They're grateful to interact with our patrons. Uh, So it's just a really nice time to to be there and be in that space and and really to see that interaction um, kind of on people of both sides of what we do, the volunteers and the patrons. Those interactions happen every day. But on the holidays, they're all just a little bit more sweet um, and and, uh, and joyful, I guess I would say. It's a really good time. Mm -hmm. You said that was the busiest day of the year for volunteers. I'm wondering about food. Do you see donations drop off after Thanksgiving? We see donations, both food and financial, kind of drop off right after Christmas, Christmas. uh, right after the end of the year. Uh, We are very much a holiday charity, November and December. um, And, you know, we work to stay um, kind of in the public eye during that time because that's the time when people are feeling incredibly generous and or guilty about all of the benefits that the rest of us have and they really want to share with the community. So, you know, really a large amount of our donated food and funds come in in those two months of the year. So, you know, January, February, the money and the food doesn't roll in quite as quickly. So uh, we're really grateful for this time of the year when people are really paying attention. So then how do you have to divide your money up and, I guess, budget, essentially? Absolutely. Well, like any, you know, well-run agency, we have a budget. We work to stick to that all year. Uh, We know that this is the way our income and food supply ebb and flows. And so right now our freezer is quite full. Um, We put out a plea for turkeys a week and a half before Thanksgiving. Um, On a Tuesday afternoon, we had two turkeys. And by Thursday, the end of the day, we had over 100 um, and, you know, we're, we did 40 to 50 for Thanksgiving, I think right at 50. Uh, but that's really nice for us because then we've got those turkeys in the freezer. We can use them in February. We can use them in March. We can use them in April. And so we really just work to kind of spread that out. We just embrace the bounty as it comes in, find a place to put it, and uh, live off of it the rest of the year. I saw your plea on Facebook. Is, yes. that, is that where you made that plea? That is exactly what we did. We put it on Facebook. We had a couple of board members who tweeted it, um, and we in particularly – you know, we, we contacted the radio stations, but we had already done that with our normal press release anyway. We just kind of did this, hey, we need to run this sooner rather than later. Uh, Smoke and Jack's 
uh, Rib Shack does all of our turkeys for us. They smoke them all. And because of the volume that we do and what they need to do for Thanksgiving, they like to smoke them the weekend before. So we needed to get them out there a little earlier. Um, and so that's what that was. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, it, the turkeys, literally, our joke was that they were flying in the doors. <laughs> they were not because, unfortunately, they were deceased, but they were uh, coming in very quickly. It was great. Yeah, it's maybe fortunate they were deceased. Uh, yes, actually, I guess it is, you know, really. When you think about it. Okay, Julio, um, what was it like for you heading up into, into Thanksgiving Day? What, did you see anything different this year? Have, have you noticed anything different heading into the holidays? Well, uh, we operate in much the same way that, that Vicki does in, in that we're very reliant on community generosity, particularly at this time of year. Um, and we do the same thing. We try to build up our resources, both food and financial resources, during uh, this holiday period in order to be able to carry that through uh, into January and February when perhaps our, our, our mission, our work drops off uh, people's radar uh, a little bit more. So uh, it, it's exactly the same thing for us. Um, we don't, uh, as I said, we are, since our clients are mostly agencies, Thanksgiving Day itself is not necessarily a big day for us because we've had to do most of our work prior to that and, and get our food out to the agencies before that. Um, we do partner with, uh, with Vicki in the kitchen to help them distribute some groceries uh, on Thanksgiving Day, but those will have been delivered uh, by Wednesday. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's actually a day off for us, which is kind of nice, <laughs> nice for a change. Um, but the buildup is is very hectic. Um, lots of on on the good end of that, lots of community food drives going on, and so we're going out. Uh, we've got staff going out in all different directions to businesses, to schools, to uh, organizations to collect f- uh, food that they've been collecting for us. Mm-hmm. Now, you've both talked about the need growing so much. How do you plan for that? Do you just account that every year it's going to grow by a certain percentage? Or is the past few years, has that kind of caught you off guard? It hasn't caught us off guard. Um, Before the need just started increasing so tremendously about three years ago, we were already budgeting increases because we were doing more outreach with children. Um, And so we were anticipating, you know, reaching out into another neighborhood with our breakfast program or reaching out into another school for our backpack program and or another youth program after school for sack lunches or whatever. So we kind of plan on that. Unfortunately, you know, even when the economy gets good, our need doesn't necessarily drop. It kind of levels off. Um, And, you know, just with cost of living and other things, you know, programmatic changes, you can't anticipate some increased expenses. The first year, the the huge increase in need caught us off guard, maybe a little bit in the sense of the volume. Uh, But the nice thing about the kitchen is that, you know, we feed anybody who walks through the door. So if 20 more people come in the door, we just spread the food out that much farther. You know, not everybody gets smaller portions, but we just work on cooking more. Um, We're a little different than a pantry in that a pantry, if they're giving each person a bag of groceries and 10 more people come in, they have to have 10 more bags of groceries. We just have to have a little bit more to feed 10 more people um, because they're actually preparing. And so, you know, the more people come in, the more you're going to get a main dish that's going to have a meat or whatever, but it's going to have pasta or rice in it that spreads it out. It stretches it out. It gives it more caloric intake, uh, caloric value. And so, you know, we're kind of able to do it that way um, and manage it quite well. Let's talk about numbers. I mean, what, I think giving people an, um, a little sense of how many folks that you're serving each year and how much the pounds of food that go through the Hoosier Hills Food Bank is pretty astonishing. But uh, let's talk about that first. How, I mean, how much food are you distributing? Sure. Uh, well, it, it is astonishing, it's, and I'm astonished every year if we're <laughs> able to do a little bit more, even a little bit more than we did uh, the prior year. Um, in the last five years, our, our food output has doubled from 1.6 million pounds to 3.2 million pounds of food a year. Um, that, that amounts to uh, a little over six tons of food a day for each of the five days a week that, that we're open um, that's moving through our warehouse. Uh, like I said, a 100% increase over five years, about a 32% increase over the last three years. It's just been uh, – it, it's been pretty dramatic the way the numbers have been going up for us. And how many agencies do you serve? We serve uh, uh, well. It's we're in a little bit of transition right now because we, uh, as I mentioned before, we serve some uh, agencies for commodities only through the federal government program, and the state realigned those numbers, uh, this this uh, those counties this year. So we actually lost two of the counties that we were serving for commodities only. Um, so we we actually serve a total of eight agencies, um, eight counties, um, eighty six agencies at this point, and those agencies reach about twenty five thousand people each mm-hmm. year. Are you are there 
certain areas where you're seeing the need growing faster than other areas? I mean, geographic areas, or is it just across the board? It has largely been across the board, but if I had uh, if I had to indicate somewhere where I've seen maybe greater growth than others, it's been in Lawrence County. Uh, we've uh, they've been hit hard with manufacturing losses and unemployment uh, problems, and uh, we've seen a, an increase in the demand down there. And Vicky, what about your numbers? Um, I've been at the kitchen for seven and a half years, and in that seven and a half years, we've doubled the number of meals that we do. Um, last year was another record for us. We served uh, 211,322 meals and snacks. We're on target to hit about 225 this year. Um, so, you know, we've seen that increase. We've seen the numbers of people um, that we serve increase, uh, which was, you know, kind of the main, one of the main driving forces for us buying this new building a year and a half ago, renovating and it moving in this summer, was that we needed more space, not only for the dining room for individuals, but for, you know, prep and food storage because of the larger volume of food we're moving. Mm-hmm. You know, we've also seen a huge increase in the number of children that we're serving, but a lot of that is really due to our outreach efforts um, to get food out to children who are at risk where they are. Um, and so, you know, we've seen our percentage of the clients that we serve in the last seven years has gone from about 36% to 61%, um, so that really the majority of the people that we're feeding our children, um, even though the majority of the people who come to dinner on any given night are not necessarily children, um, they're adults. But um, because of those outreach efforts, those numbers to kids have increased um, dramatically. We are also kind of the face of things has also been changing for us in that seven years ago, it was unusual to see children in our dining room, families with children. Now it's really unusual to not see families with children, um, so much so that when we built a new facility, we put in a family dining room uh, with kid-friendly sized tables and chairs and, and extra high chairs and things so that families, when they come, can actually eat around a, a, a round table, a more family-style meal um, instead of at banquet tables with strangers. So the face has changed as well. Mm-hmm. All right. For the last uh – 10 or 12 minutes before we take a break, we're going to be joined by John Etling, the Director of Catholic Charities of Terre Haute. John, are you there? I am. Hey, John. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, with Julio Alonzo and Vicki Pierce um, about the uh, need and the fact that the need for um, for help has grown. I wondered if, uh, if you're seeing the same thing in Terre Haute. Well, we have. We've seen a great need over the last Oh, three or four years now, uh, a, a fairly steady increase of about fifteen percent a year. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you what do you do at Catholic Charities? What are all the services you provide? Well, Catholic Charities has four main programs here in the the Greater Wabash Valley area, I guess, if you will. We have a food bank, which is really the cornerstone of our agency. It has probably the greatest reach and uh, certainly moves the the most volume of any particular item that we try and provide, and that's food. Um, we reach seven counties and have a uh, effective touch uh, with that program of uh, a little more than 32,000 people in our service area. Um, in addition to that, we have a, a youth center that provides programming uh, to uh, young children, inner city area of the, of the community, one of the more impoverished areas of the Terre Haute area. Uh, we work with about 1,400 uh, school-aged children uh, to provide a meal and other supportive learning activities. Uh, we also have a, a homeless shelter, um, primarily uh, for clients that are single women with children. Uh, that program also provides a, a clothes closet free of charge, as well as a soup kitchen that has served a meal every day um, for 30 years. Weekends, holidays, all of them without missing a, a day. Mm-hmm. And then we have a Christmas store program where uh, this time of year we're trying to put together different items and um, all new household items and clothing for families coming through that might not otherwise have a Christmas. Sounds like you do a, a wide range of things. So, um, yeah, I want to ask, we've been talking mostly about, about food here and food security uh, hunger is well, the way we used to call it, but food security now is kind of the the term we use. Um, you, you've seen you, you uh, the uh, increases. Julio and Vicky were both talking about the the increases that they've seen here, and it sounds like you've had the same thing: fifteen percent in the 
food area as well as everything else? Yeah, that seems to be fairly fairly consistent here on our our area. We've um, we've seen just as well, actually, probably more children coming in because typically our families are comprised of uh, three three children per household is about the average, the norm, and they certainly uh, seem to suffer or, or feel the feel the pinch as much as anyone in the family does. Mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, more generosity as the the time has gone along. I think Julio would say that, uh, I know here at the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, that they've, they've had more donations than ever. Have, have you had the same kind of uh, outreach there or uh, reaction we, there? Yeah, we have seen that response. I think we've, we've seen a lot more people. Now, I, I think in, you know, some of that may be due to an increased effort to raise awareness, but I think as we've done more increased programming and extended our our reach i think the response has been an increase in uh a response by the public and even companies within our service area to uh to get on board mm-hmm. julie i did, didn't mean to put words in your mouth but <laughs> did, did, I, did i characterize you accurately you did, Bob, and and, uh, and that's true. We have, you know, the fortunate side of things is that we have seen uh, an increase in uh, in donations locally as well. Um, uh, some of some new retailers have come on board in the last couple of years that have um, significantly increased the amount of retail food that we've had um, coming in, and for the most part, the the community has been very responsive. I think uh, I think John hit a key point that we've we've all made an effort to raise awareness and to to keep ourselves out there in the public view and, and make sure that the public understands that there's so many more people in in need of services. And um, here in Monroe County, certainly, I think people have responded to that, and we've seen more food drives happening and um, and a, a greater response. So that's mm-hmm. that's good. I wanted to mention. I know we've had this conversation before, but there there are a lot of individuals that donate to all of your agencies, I'm sure, and a lot of small businesses that donate. But I know that uh, one uh, big donor you had last year was Walmart. So there are, there are bigger stores that also get on board and, and help out? There are definitely. Um, Walmart was our biggest uh, biggest food donor last year. Um, in addition to that, they gave us a brand new truck, which was, uh, was terrific because we can't do what we do without that, that infrastructure. Um, Marsh stepped up to the plate and implemented a, a retail donation program, and they've, they're, they're the food they've been uh, distributing to us has, been, has gone up, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred percent at, at least. I wish I had the number, but um, we've, we've been seeing a lot more food through that source. Kroger's been a supporter of us for a long time since the very beginning, um, and they're always generous with the donations that we receive. Locally, Blooming Foods um, continues to be a, a great retail partner of us. So both the, the, the local um, sort of home stores and, and the, the larger corporations have been helping us a lot. Right. And you're a United Way agency? We are. We both are. Both of you. you. Yeah. And that's another thing that I think um, people might – I should ask uh, John, are you a United Way agency in Terre Haute? Yes, we are. Okay. Well, one thing I think people might uh, might not realize is when you're a United Way agency, it doesn't mean that all of your money comes from United Way. I know I was at the uh, Salvation Army lunch last week, and I noticed I think they get something like – 15% 15% of their money or something. I, I, it was a, a small, much smaller percentage than I even thought. So is that similar to what you get? That's the case. It's a very important source of funding, and it's a regular source of funding, which is great. We can count on a, a regular allocation every month, so that's that's fantastic. But it does only amount – in our case, I think it's around 7 or 8% of our, our total cash budget. Mm-hmm. And it's less than 10% of ours as well. Um, but, you know, like Julio said, that's the money that still comes in in January and February right. and March when we're not so much on the radar. And it's not designated specifically for one thing or another. So if we need it to pay the utilities or to pay the staff right. to be there, we are able to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't want to uh, at all denigrate what United Way does. It's an no, amazing, uh-huh. it's amazing agency, but uh, an organization, and it helps a lot of different uh, groups. But I think sometimes people think, well, they're getting money from United Way. I don't know why I need to, you know, mm-hmm. donate any more to them. So, John, I wanted uh, wanted to give you the opportunity also to talk about this holiday season because uh, we've we've talked about a, a little bit about how this is the time for a lot more awareness. A lot of people are thinking about their charitable contributions, but yet 
the need goes on year round. Um, do you have a, a major campaign going on in Terre Haute, or are you just hoping that uh, people get the word and support you this time of year? Yeah, we've had a, uh, a Share Your Thanksgiving event going on since the beginning of the, the month of November, and uh, we, we sort of wrapped it up last week. However, um, you know, the, the part the part of collecting and then the part of distributing comes into play, and it certainly makes for a very busy time. The, the response has just been phenomenal, and it, it really does continue between now and uh, on into the end of the year when, uh, when that awareness and just attention is greater. Um, I want to go back, if I could, just sure. for a minute on the United Way issue, because there's there's another side to this, I think, that we all sort of uh, like to make sure is, is known with United Way. And we get about 13% of our total budget. United Way, in our area, really focuses on programs more so than the agency itself. It really wants to fund programs. And, um, and one of the things that they do in addition to just the, the fundraising, the awareness. I mean, certainly on a national level, the United Way brand is out there, and we benefit. We all benefit from that. But the um, the effort that they make to make sure agencies are really um, paying attention to doing what they say they're going to do with the numbers. There's uh, or with the, the funding, I should say. There's a there's there's very much a vetting and uh, and a review. Uh, there's a complete um, review of, of audit practices and, and just the, the the commitment and responsibility that the agencies have to make. So it's, it's almost a quality control, quality assurance type of, of effort on the part of United Way to assure the public that there's a strong stewardship and, and certainly um, that, the, that the agencies are being responsible with the, with the donations that they receive. Mm-hmm. And that's but absolutely – sorry, John. Go oh, ahead. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say that's that's very similar. We have uh, that vetting process and, and accountability here in Monroe County with United Way as well. Uh, we go through a certification process every three years, and then every three years we go through an allocations process, and we have documents we submit every year. Where we are perhaps different here um, is that our local United Way still does agency funding. So we don't have to write uh, a proposal for a particular program, and all the funding has to be used there. Here in Monroe County, our United Way funds are, are really for the agency to use in the way that they deem uh, most needed. So that's kind of where we differ. But but I agree that process is, is, a, is a great thing for the local donor who really just wants to kind of maneuver, especially Monroe County, the hundreds of uh, nonprofit opportunities that are out there to contribute and figure out who's really doing the job well. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at other sources of funding, I know you said you get a lot of, a lot of support at the federal level. Have you seen that increase as well? Uh, unfortunately, no. We've seen exactly the opposite. And um, uh, quite frankly, I live in fear uh, every time I read of some, whatever's going on in Washington, then it's not going to wind up good for, uh, for us in the long run. Um, we've, uh, we received, the, the most important um, federal program we receive support from is both food and funding. It's, it's the Emergency Food Assistance Program, or TFAP. A lot of folks know it just as federal commodities um, for, for the short lingo. Um, that provides food that we distribute to the, the soup kitchens and the, the shelters and the food pantries for use in their programs. There's another one called CSFP, which is also commodities, but it's directly um, aimed at low-income seniors in three of the counties that we serve, and, and we provide those senior citizens that, that income qualify with a 40-pound box of food each month. Um, those are the most important ones. We also receive some funding through the Emergency Food and Shelter Program, which is a, a program of FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Association, and Community Development Block Grant Program, which is uh, operated here through the city of Bloomington. We've seen both of those two sources decline significantly, and we're starting to see declines in the TFAP funding and food as well. Um, TFAP's down about 16% uh, this year, and that's um, that hurts us. Uh, that the, They provide... The staple foods that we that our agencies really need, and seeing cuts in those programs uh, really has an impact both on us and what we're able to do, and the agencies and what they're able to do. So, um, un- unfortunately, um, we're not seeing as much support at that level as as we'd like to. John, can you stick around for a question or two after we take a short break? Sure. Okay. All right. Well, we've had half time in the program. We're going to have to take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. 
Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we have three guests with us today, Julio Alonzo, the director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Vicki Pierce, the executive director of Monroe County Community Kitchen, and John Etling, the director of Catholic Charities in Terre Haute. This is a special pre-recorded program for the holiday weekend, so uh, you can't call us today, but hopefully you're learning a lot about the issues of hunger in our communities. Um, John, I wanted to bring you back on and ask about any trends that you're seeing at your various programs. Um, you know, different kind of client, um, any seeing more kids than ever, you know, any anything that's been changing over the last couple of years? Probably the most significant thing that we've noticed as far as a trend is really been through our Christmas store program. And um, certainly uh, that, that program tends to uh, make it a little bit easier to look at some of the trends. But what we've really noticed is that households are getting bigger. Um, we have more... Um, double and triple up of families in the same household. Um, and that seems to be, uh, I, I guess when you think about it more, it, uh, it, it lends itself to, I think, a, a real dynamic change in our, in our family structure. That, that household environment uh, can have uh, enough stress and strain put on it with just one family in it. But when you start to bring two, three families, um, oftentimes there's you know, we've, we've seen the trend of grandparents are now raising some of their grandchildren who, uh, for whatever reason, the, the mom and dad have have somehow been um, removed from that environment for one reason or another, whether it be incarceration or an addiction or um, any one of a number of things. Just I guess it all falls under some um, definition of dysfunctionality, but the, um, the, the family structure is changing, it, and, and that... I think it's an alarming issue because um, certainly we've all seen the you know, divorce rate increase and the, and the families have, have sort of broken down and, and, and gone through their own evolution, if you will. But um, I think the result is that some of these situations are going to have a, a detrimental effect on uh, what we know families to be. Mm-hmm. And I assume you see a, a lot of, uh, you, you said you have 1,400 school-age kids that you see in your youth center. Uh, has that number been going up? That number's actually been a fairly steady number. We um, we work with about that many kids through that program throughout the course of the year. Um, and because that, that segment of our population is so transient, it's not unusual for a family to move four times within, you know, the, the school calendar year. Um, and that's just the nature of um, staying one one step ahead of the bill collector or or other influences that are out there to uh, uh, to which people have become either uh, uh, beholden to or uh, uh, endeared to for whatever reason. Now, John, correct me if I'm wrong here, but with the latest census data that re- was released, it showed that poverty in Indiana was the highest, right right in your area. So I'm wondering, when, when things like that come out and sort of go into the public eye, does that help you sort of raise the profile of what you're doing and the problems in, in Terre Haute and help you, in turn, leverage more donations? Yes, childhood poverty in our, in our region or segment of the, of the state, the west central area of the state, is uh, on a per capita basis uh, number one in the state. And that's, that's a very alarming um, 
statement to make. Um, you know, we do use it in our in our efforts to raise awareness, but it's certainly not something that we're proud of. But it increases the importance of what you do. Is that fair? Well, I think it does raise the priority for people. Um, you know, we, we all probably make judgments uh, throughout the course of our day, whether, you know, we, we do so, you know, out of instinct or just, uh, you know, I don't know, habit, but there's certainly um, a lot more response you get from people when it's children and seniors who uh, don't always have control or the, uh, the ability to um, affect that change that's necessary. John, we're going to let you go in a minute, but I want to give you one chance here to uh, tell people what's on your wish list for this holiday season. If you, you know, do you need more volunteers, more funds, more food, more uh, blankets for the homeless shelter? What do you need the most? Well, I would I would guess that uh, what we probably need the most are prayers, first and foremost. Um, certainly, um, as much for our clients as for our uh, uh, client providers, we've we, we've got a lot of uh, uh, I guess individuals in our community as, as well throughout the state that are just going through a, a, a tough time. Um, but I think the other thing is, uh, as far as a, a wish list, it's it's, I guess that I would wish that people are going through a, a struggle or a tough time to call us. Um, uh, and, and guys are probably the worst at this. You know, we want to do everything ourselves and be Superman. Well, sometimes that shame or pride gets in the way of being able to deliver services. But when you're, when you're the head of the household and you've got uh, maybe a wife and, and some young children who, uh, who don't always... Uh, have that ability to reach out and ask for help. Uh, we, we want to affect some some change in that in that household, and the only way to do it is to find out uh, where they are. And, uh, it's all kept very anonymous, if you will. We we try and provide our services with the highest degree of respect and dignity to the client, um, and we want to dismantle those those uh, issues of shame and and. Uh, and sometimes um, pride they get in the way. Um, so we're here to help people and serve, and that's really the the wish that I would have for this holiday season for uh, for all of our Indiana communities. All right, John. John Etling is the director of Catholic Charities at Terre Haute. He's uh, joined us by phone today, and we really appreciate it, John. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hey, Julio. Happy holidays. Same to you, John. <laughs> all right. Buddy. All right, thanks. We'll finish up with uh, with Julio and with Vicky. We've got another fifteen minutes to go, so we've got lots of ground we can cover here. I I want to give you the chance to to uh, answer a couple of those same questions that we just talked to John about about trends trends that you're seeing. Uh, I know Vicky, you've said you've seen a lot more kids. Are there other things you've been noticing in the last couple of years? We've also been noticing the uh, the trend of of um, more seniors. Um, coming to our facility, people who are on a fixed income, and as you know, inflation inflation rises, and the cost of peanuts rises, and the cost of corn rises, and that means everybody's food prices increase. We see more seniors coming to see us as well, and we see more individuals now who are working um, at least part time, and a lot of them only part time, unfortunately, um, who are accessing our services than we were before. Previously, you could have counted on in a dining room at dinner time for a good number of the folks to be homeless and or unemployed. Some, um, you know, working, but not a good number of those, most of them in between and in some kind of crisis kind of situation. Now we see people more often using us um, as basically the best financial plan for them, Um, you know, be able to take what limited income they have and stretch that out farther to pay medical bills or for medication or, um, you know, transportation costs or whatever other bills they need to pay because they can access some food resources from us and stretch that that food money out uh, a little longer. So we're mm-hmm. seeing that kind of shift, um, I think, in the reason people come to us or the the way we fit into their plan, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Julio, same question. 
I think we, we're what we're seeing is pretty similar. It's it's um, a little bit more difficult for us to pinpoint uh, a lot of trends because we serve such a wide variety of agencies, ranging from youth programs to pantries to to kitchens and shelters, um, and we rely on those agencies to provide us with the information, um, and they all they all track it uh, in in different ways. Um, but but what we've been hearing are pretty much uh, similar themes to what Vicky just talked about: um, more children accessing services or more families with children accessing services, more seniors access, accessing services uh, as, as they get squeezed on their fixed incomes, um, and then more and more um, sort of what you might consider non-traditional uh, uh, clients for, for kitchens and pantries, people who are working but have had hours cut back or just simply aren't making enough to uh, to get by with the increase in prices that they've been seeing at the grocery store or at the gas pump. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Okay, I don't really want to cause trouble, but I guess I'm, I might here. You're going I, to I, anyway. I might anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was struck when I read a story um, in our paper about the uh, Occupy Bloomington movement, which I think is a, you know, I, I certainly uh, am a big First Amendment advocate, but I read a comment where um, one of the people down there said, you know, we're taking care of the homeless people in town better than the rest of the community has. And I was struck by the fact that um, your agency – Julio, your agency, Vicki, the Shalom Center, the Bloomington is blessed with a, a, a pretty strong network of nonprofits that have been there for people who are suffering homelessness and people who are, are hungry. And I guess I just kind of wanted to get your reaction to that. I'm not trying to cause trouble. I'm really not. But. <laughs> oh, sure you are. Um. <laughs> but I, I just want to – I guess I just want to stress the, the social service network in this community uh, that's been there for – you know, many, many, many years. Yeah, absolutely. And, I'll, you know, I'll tread carefully here because I don't want to start trouble uh, either. But, uh, it, it, you know, in terms of, of the movement and the protesters and everything, that was something we actually saw on a national level that, that um, these, these encampments were actually um, attracting more homeless people and folks who needed services because there was food being provided there for them. And, you know, in my thinking, that's a great thing. If there are more, if there are more options available to people, um, then by all means, that's um, that's just a good thing and, and something we should be happy about, that these folks have another place to go and, and can get uh, additional food if that's what they need. But uh, speaking to your point, I think uh, it is important to recognize that we do have a, a pretty solid network here in Monroe County. We're very fortunate. Um, I, I get to see that from a regional perspective, and I can tell you that some of the other counties we serve don't have that kind of a network in place. We've got a lot of agencies here that work closely together, hand-in-hand, hand, to try and avoid duplicating services, to uh, to collaborate as much as possible. And I think we've got a pretty good, um, definitely in, in, in terms of emergency food assistance, uh, a, a pretty good network of, of partners working together to try and address that problem. Mm-hmm. And I guess my answer to that question would kind of begin with a question, and that is, you know, who is the we who is taking better care of the homeless than the rest of us? You know, if we're talking about the government, you know, we our local government is very engaged in anti-poverty efforts and anti-hunger efforts and youth development and all of those things. That is not the case um, in, in a lot of even really close geographic areas to us. Um, you know, if our homeless friends or homeless advocate friends from Martha's House and Shalom Center and, and Stepping Stones and, and Backstreet were here, they would tell you that we may be doing a good job with parts of that population, uh, people experiencing homelessness. But, you know, there's still, um, even though, you know, the, the new shelter is open, there's still not enough um, opportunities really for families um, who are experiencing homelessness to get on a path. So, you know, I think it's it's often – it's all in our perspective. Um, any one of us in a very beginning of the day would think somebody's doing a better job for somebody else than they do are for us. Um, and, you know, we're just kind of out there all doing, I think, the best we can. And it's it's really best when we can recognize that others are doing the same. It's not a competition. Absolutely. <laughs> and that effort, I assume, is so small that you probably haven't seen an impact with what you do in terms of fewer people coming in the door. No, absolutely not. I'm, you know, we're our numbers aren't dwindling. Um, in fact, you know, we're actually, even though our, our numbers of folks eating at South Roger Street has stayed the same since we moved or very close to the same, it actually then means we're still serving an additional 30 plus people a day because when we moved, Martha's House clients um, who are in that homeless shelter stopped 
coming to Community Kitchen, we started delivering food to them um, because that allows us to free up those 25 to 30 seats in the dining room. It makes it easier for their folks. So, you know, if our dining room numbers are the same, then that means we've got another 25, 30 people coming. So we have not seen our numbers dropping off drastically because people are hanging out at the park and eating there. Okay, I'm going to remind you, you're listening to a, a pre-recorded edition of Noon Edition, so you can't call us with your questions today. Uh, hopefully, you, you are being inspired to help out this holiday season uh, with uh, people who are hungry or, or are experiencing homelessness. I want to talk about the issue of hunger, because I know both of you know quite a bit about it. I mean, it's not just that feeling in your belly that you need more food. I mean, there are a lot of things. If you don't have enough food, uh, it can create lots of problems for you. And I wanted to have both of you sort of address that. Well, Julio's always got better hard factual numbers for you, so I'll <laughs> let him follow me. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that we really focus on in the kitchen, the, the primary reason that we do so much outre- outreach with children is because national data everywhere tells you that when kids have what they need nutritionally, they're more likely to succeed in school. They are therefore more likely or less likely, I guess, to end up in the justice system. Um, they're more likely to go on to stable employment and, um, you know, and have that whole stable life that we, we all wish for for our children. So, you know, there there is just that um, there at play that, you know, we know that if we keep doing this, then that's going to, you know, in theory, get children where they need to be and then strengthens the entire community um, as they grow up. I'm going to pinch to you now and then we'll back off. <laughs> sure. Well, uh well, well, two things. I, I, I think what Vicky just talked about is, is, is important. A, a lot of it is common sense. You, you know, children can't focus as well at school. They don't develop as well if, if they're hungry. Um, people can't uh, be productive at work if they're, uh, if they're hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, people are much more likely to be uh, sick and have to access um, uh, the emergency room or, or doctors or, or medical care of some sort if they're not uh, maintaining a, a healthy nutritional balance in their life. So a lot of those things are, are, you know, sort of obvious on the face of it and why it's important to have uh, food available to people and, and, and why food's such a, a basic necessity. Um, the government doesn't call it hunger anymore. They talk about food insecurity. And there's, you know, there's an important uh, distinction there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, food insecurity is a measure of whether people have access to nutritional food on a regular basis. And, you know, the logical portion of me says, you know, that's actually probably a more accurate thing to try and measure because we can't really measure a feeling in in someone's stomach. Um, The human side of me says, you know, this is about a kid who's hungry um, or a senior who's who's, uh, reducing their portion so that they can spend money on medicine. Um, It it is a physical feeling that that people experience. And, you know, we try to keep both of those those measures out there, so to speak. Um, this is about larger programs that cause people not to have access to food on a regular basis, but it's also about that individual that day who may not have had a meal. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'd piggyback off of that, because we are um, a kitchen who really works to preserve the dignity and anonymity of everyone, we don't ask them a lot of questions, we are actually now I've been working with an IU group to kind of better capture some of the results um, that people see in their own lives as a result of using the kitchen. So, you know, in the future, we hope to find out if being able to eat at Community Kitchen is allowing people to spend more of their own funds on their medications, to pay more of their bills on time, if they feel like it's giving them a better um, nutritional value in their day and that they're better able to medic- or to uh, manage chronic medical conditions, those kinds of things that, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what Julio said make common sense to us, um, but we've never in the past been able to track from our folks. And so that's one of the things we're really interested in, in finding out and getting more of that um, kind of real data, so to speak, um, to back off what we really believe is, is the case. Now, earlier when you were talking about just the food bank being, being part of a plan, I think, I don't know if this was something I read in your paper or something I read on that we did, but I think that is so interesting because before it used to be, from what I used to think, it used to be you would go there in an emergency. I mean, does that completely change the way you work? It doesn't really completely change the way we work. It compl- it changes the conversation I have with um, the more 
nuts and bolts, numbers, show me results uh, donors who are indeed wonderful friends of ours, um, but who really want to say, who really want me to be able to tell them that what we're doing today is making a longer term difference. Um, And so being able to say to someone, you know, this particular senior comes here every day because being able to come here for dinner um, allows her to get the nutrition she needs, gets a better meal, gets the social interaction she needs, which helps her maintain her health, um, helps her maintain her diabetes, and allows her to be able to spread her money out better taking her medication, better providing for, you know, the utility bills so it's warm enough in her house and those kinds of things. And all of those pieces together get her to a more positive place. So um, in that way, I've seen that change. Um, There are still people who just come to eat with us because they're hungry today and they don't have any idea what tomorrow is going to bring. But we're seeing more and more of that people that we're a part of their plan to take care of themselves. You mentioned Thanksgiving and what you do on Thanksgiving. On Christmas, I'm I'm from Cincinnati, and people used to wind around the block, you know, way before the sun came up to line up for their meal. Is it like that? No, it is not like that. <laughs> um, and part of the reason it's probably not like that is because um, we never run out of food. Um, there's always food. So there's not this, you know, panic that if I'm not in the door first, I'm, I might not get anything. Um, the holiday meal you know, it's, it's there. It's because this community is very generous. There's going to be plenty. Um, and so people are excited about it um, because it's, you know, it's a traditional meal in their mind. It's something, it's not just that it's going to be, you know, some spaghetti and green beans and something, which is a perfectly wonderful meal, but not what most of us would think of as a traditional holiday meal. All right. We have less than, we have about a minute to go. So wish list. What's on your wish list, Julio? Um, our wish list is is pretty much the same as it always. We need we need food, we need funds, we need volunteers. Um, those three things are what make it happen for us. Okay. Um, I would focus um, both on the food and the funds, but food, particularly canned fruits and vegetables. Um, as the TFAP program has kind of dwindled back down a little bit, our staples of, of um, vegetables and fruits have dwindled some, and we're actually in the process of buying them for the first time ever. And we serve vegetables and fruit at every meal, and so we want to make sure we've got plenty of those. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for being here. Uh, Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and Vicki Pierce from the Community Kitchen. Uh, thanks for being here with us today and happy, uh, happy holiday weekend, happy holiday thank season. You. I thank guess. you. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us today for Sarah Whitmire, for Mike Pashkash, and for our producers, Dalton Main and Gretchen Frazee. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.